0: One of the things that I want to do on this episode of Socks in the Basement is I want to talk about not only one of the first trade rumors that's out there, and we're going to see tons of them, and I, I think this this off season, I want to talk about them all individually when they come out, as long as everybody understands Ed, that just because there's a rumor doesn't mean it's going to happen. And so like I mean, these things fly around in the off season like crazy, and I think we're going to get trapped this year knowing that Rick Hahn is focusing more on trades because he doesn't have any more money and that the opening day payroll is going to be lower at about $180 million, according to reports, instead of the 196 that they were at for the 2022 season. So it's going to change how they do business. So I think a lot of trades are going to float around out there in possibilities, but everybody's got to keep in mind, just because you're like, oh, that'd be a great move, until you know what they're giving up, and until you see whether or not they can actually give up enough to beat somebody else who wants that player, it's just stuff in the ether, you know? I mean, until something's completed, it's all theory. It's like sitting around and saying, like, well, I think there's intelligent life out there in space, but I can't prove it. I mean, it's a fun discussion to have, but until they actually find little green men, y- you really can't talk about the planet in the way that you that you that you know fact about it. Did, did you follow that analogy, or you're already lost?
1: No, I'm completely with you. I understand that Klingons are an invention of a guy from the 60s who's just trying to sell a TV show. But that doesn't make them fact. And and just because Sean Murphy is on the block, because the A's, who are in a perpetual rebuild, have Shay Langoliers and they have uh, Tyler Soderstrom as two of their top prospects, making Sean Murphy a nice expendable piece for them and something that they feel like they can get value for, doesn't mean that the White Sox are actually going to get the guy because young, controllable catchers with high exit velocities who might have their offense suppressed by playing in the grand chasm that is the Oakland Coliseum don't fall off of trees very easily and you are again like you said you're dealing with a team that do you have the capital to sit there and and make the trade comparatively are you giving up too much right so if you were to tell me that Sean Murphy costs Rick Hahn Colson Montgomery his, his basically his number one prospect right that's too much for Sean Murphy in my book now Comparing Colson Montgomery to somebody else's number one prospect, if that number one prospect is head and shoulders above where Montgomery is, you might look at it in the grand scheme of things and sit there and say, "Yeah, but the Sox didn't give up that much, but they gave up more than they had to give." You know, he's an upgrade from Sebby Zavala, I think, and he's an upgrade from Yasmani Grandal at this point in his career. So, good job, Rickon, if you can get it done. But if you, you're right, you can't assess these trades until after the fact. But it is fun to sit there and talk about, you know the Romulan Empire, and whether or not uh, they would defeat the Federation in a you know in an all-out war, and where Picard or Kirk would fall into that. And we've turned into a Star Trek podcast, so let's get back to baseball before I geek out even more. Wow. Wow. That was weird. You picked it a wound, apparently. You picked it something you shouldn't have.
0: Yeah, yeah. You sit there and say sell the team. I wish you'd sell the team to me. Old Jerry would sell it to me. But like I said, I'm going to keep playing that lottery, but I guarantee it. If I hit the lottery, I'm gonna buy the team out. And I'm gonna fix it the way it should be fixed. (laughs) Very weird start to this episode and the entire episode and every episode of Socks in the Basement brought to you proudly by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Uh, Keep water out of the home uh, from anything from bowing walls, window wells, sump pumps, gutter cleaning, you name it. They do it 24-7. Give them a call. 708-330-4466. Mention Socks in the Basement. You get additional money off. Your basement's best defense is at FamilyDry.com. Sean Murphy is a catcher who was like a three and a half B WAR. Baseball Reference WAR. You have the F WAR, which is Fan Graphs measurement. Baseball Reference is a uh, is B WAR. He would be a definite upgrade over Yasmani Grandal, who was a negative one point four. And Zebby Zavala, that was a one. And if he would have gotten the amount of at-bats and playing time and you could extrapolate it out, could it best probably be a two-war? So he's an upgrade. And at 28 years old, a guy that could probably hit you about 20-some home runs a year, playing above-average defensive catcher in that ballpark would be a big thing for the White Sox. But it would be a big thing for a lot of other teams. And there's com- there's competition When teams are going out and trying to get pieces in the offseason, just like there's competition at the trade deadline. And this team has not been winning an awful lot of battles when it comes to getting the player that everybody else also wants in a trade. But let's say that they go out and they acquire him. I think it would be an indication to me as to what the team philosophy is and what Rick Hahn's plan is over the next couple of years. And I, and I, I just want to dive into this for just a quick moment. I think there's a lot of White Sox fans out there that have tunnel vision on 2023. And it's possible Rick Hahn does as well. If the White Sox have tunnel vision on 2023, it would be because, one, Hahn knows that if he can't turn things around, he's out the door, if he actually believes that. The window, the initial window for this team, if you believe it's still open, which we're not so sure about, but if you believe it's still open, and guys rebound from last year and the Tony La Russa factor was such a great weight on this team that they can bounce back and be competitive and challenge for a World Series. That window really still does close after 2023, unless you can extend out some of these players or replace them because you're going to see contracts come to an end. And you could also say that you could create a window, I believe, not only through 2023, but through 2025. And Sean Murphy would be an indication that you're looking at, wait a minute, we can be good here for the next couple of years. He would be under control through the 25 season, and he would join a group of players if you were trying to figure out that next group for that next window that would be around in 2025. I I looked at what this team's going to be in a couple of years just to kind of get a big picture of the team instead of just focusing on the upcoming season. Assuming Juan Mancada is what he is, which is what I believe, and I know that's what you believe. Not everybody believes it, right? Right. But you'd be buying him out at $5 million, and I wouldn't have him on this team. You would also see players no longer on this team by the name of Lance Lynn, Liam Hendricks, Tim Anderson, unless you extended him. He's out of options going into that season. Kendall Graveman, Larry Garcia, finally off the books. For the 2025 Maybe. season,
1: you know, they'll extend them. Unless we give him a raise and keep him
0: even longer. Uh, Jake Diekman would definitely be gone. I don't even think he I think they buy him out the year before, before the 24 season for a million dollars. I, I, I still don't understand that move. Grandal and Giolito are both gone after 23 because Lucas Giolito's walking out that door. He's going to go test the free agent waters. If he has a good season, somebody else is going to get him because they're going to overpay for him. If he has a bad season, who cares if we get him? Right? That'd
1: be back-to-back bad years. Yeah, do you really want him
0: back at that point? I have negative thoughts about how the whole Giolito thing goes. I really think this is his last year on the south side. But here's what you have for the 2025 season, just so you have an idea.
1: Here's the glass half full, so to speak.
0: Right. If you acquire Sean Murphy, it would make sense because you'd need a catcher and he'd still be around in his last year before he becomes a free agent. You'd also have a Aloy Jimenez, where instead of buying him out for 3000000 million, you'd be paying him $16.5 million to be your designated hitter. Luis Robert would be roaming center field at $15 million, and you would likely have Oscar Colas in that outfield as well, right? Uh, Your shortstop would be Colson Montgomery, who should be ready by that time. And and I believe he's going to be a good player and a major league baseball player, because at this point, Anderson's gone unless you've extended him. When you start the 2025 season, he's not he's not on the roster for 2025 at this point.
1: And and he'll be in he'll be in his Jose Abreu phase where Abreu was in 2022. So he may not be the Tim Anderson worth thinking of today. Yeah, closer to 35 than 30.
0: That's what he is at that point. Okay, and and you have a a Jake Berger still on the on the roster because that guy's never making any money. I like Jake. Jake's still in his pre arb years at 27. Like he's going to be like 32 or something like that when he becomes a free agent because of all the injuries but congrats on your kid there buddy congrats on the on the on the on the new baby okay uh, both uh, Jake and his wife have both been on this program before and congratulations to them but Jake's still here and so if he improves on his defense maybe he's over a third base and in your rotation you have Dylan Cease in his last year and Michael Kopeck in his last year and if you turn Garrett Crochet into a starter you have him that's what you have right that's your core going into your 2025 season for the Chicago White Sox so as you look at 23 don't forget what it's going to look like over the next couple of years, because I'm going to tell you something, Ed. I don't want to go through another rebuild or, or, or a, I'm sorry, a remake or whatever this it's a remake. rebuild was. It, it's a,
1: it wasn't a rebuild. It was a remake. Right,
0: because as you've said before, the team is old and you don't have control forever with these guys. And so it'll be interesting to me. I'm fascinated by what the moves will be for the White Sox, because I think that you have 2023. You could push in all your cards. You could go for it, right? And it would make sense if you have a general manager. That's like, it is what it is, and I'm in trouble if we don't make it to the postseason. I'm not going to have a job, so I'm pushing everything in. If he feels like he's Teflon and he's got a job for life, and he's looking at the overall big picture, he can be very competitive in 2023 and possibly make the playoffs if he makes the right moves. But he should be looking at a, a longer picture of the 24 and 25 seasons if not beyond that, building so that you can now look at that in the next couple of years and continue to extend out what your team is. Because there is a point where the players that came up in your system or that you acquired for this run, a run from 2020, 2021, 22, and and let's say 23, this initial four-year window is coming to an end, and a lot of these guys are going to go. And I know we fall in love with players that we saw through the through the build, the remake, whatever you want to call it, and guys that are that have been on this field for a long time. But they're not White Sox for life, and they're not baseball players for life because they get old. And they you, you, and some of them may I don't see I don't think we have a lot of guys on this team that still have another level they're taking it to. Like Luis Robert, probably another level. Aloya Menes, probably another level. Luckily, we have those guys signed Andrew for many Vaughn, more years. I, I think Andrew Vaughn's got another level. Andrew Vaughn another level. Some of these guys, they are what they are. You know, at this point, that's what I'm looking at the most. When I hear the Sean Murphy rumor, it makes me think to myself, this makes an awful lot of sense. Fix his catcher right now, fix his catcher for the next couple of years. I like that because me, if I were a new general manager walking in, I wouldn't be concerned about trying to keep my job after this season. Me as an overall fan, I don't want to push every card in for 23 Unless it's, unless I feel like, wow, we, I mean, there are some moves you could make right now. I mean, you could go out and spend money. You can go out and get one of those big shortstops and I'd be like, okay, fine, push it all in. But I just don't know with the the cap, the salary cap that Jerry Reinsdorf imposes on his own team. I don't know if it makes sense to throw every card in. And then I'm sitting around in 25 on this show talking about the next rebuild. Socks in the Basement fans, switch to a new age of life, whether it be you, mom or dad, grandma or grandpa, there is no reason to look at assisted living. We can make a smart home. Well, actually, I won't make the smart home. Hyatt Home Medical Equipment will make a smart home for you. They're better at this than me. We'll talk about White Sox problems. They'll find a way to get the most out of your CPAP machine. They'll get you spare oxygen tanks. They'll give you the best in diabetes control. They'll put lifts in the home to get you from one floor to another. They'll make the house less of a fall risk. There's so much you can do. There's so much they can do for you, and you can see it all at hhme.com. They work with your insurance, and if you mention socks in the basement, you get additional money off. Stop in and see them in person. Ask any question you want. See everything they have to offer. Right in Evergreen Park, 3518 West 95th Street.
1: You know, there's something to be said about Rick Hahn's philosophy being one of sustainability. OK, so your point is you don't want to push in 2023. You don't think that he should push in 2023. You want to look at the longer term. I'm not
0: giving in. I I know you got a great point. I just want to say that so nobody's confused. I'm not saying let's not win the World Series in 2023.
1: No, 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 no one's saying that. I'm just saying that if you you have
0: to also look at your franchise beyond 2023 when you're making moves, unless, of course, you're a general manager who's been told your job's on the line. And so that's what I'm kind of curious. What kind of trades am I actually going to see? Are they going to clean out everything they have in their system? Are they going going to be making moves with the idea of we're not going to have very much left, even on the major league team in a couple of years, because we had a short-sighted view of win now, win immediately with a rookie manager?
1: Right, and that's what I mean. Like You're you're saying don't go all in on 2023 by completely emptying the farm system, trading away one of these long-term pieces that you've identified are going to be here in 2025, and, and do that to get in veterans on short-term contracts, guys that are hot right now, uh, guys that you're not going to be able to control for much more than, than next year or the year after, and, and are going to fall off with the rest of the names that are going to fall off after the 2024 season. That would not be the sustained success. Using some of what little capital you have to go after a Sean Murphy and solidify a position for the next few years, that's going to coincide with what you've identified as the young core of Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Andrew Vaughn, uh, Dylan Cease. You know, and, and these these young players that we are actually you know looking at that are are not approaching thirty and are going to be around here. Um, that I think is Rick Hahn's... Maybe next step in the model for success because he he didn't get it done in the I'm going to draft super well and I'm going to get all these international free agents and I'm going to spread that wealth and build up the farm system so that there's always the next man up who's going to be able to contribute. Instead, it's a little bit more of the Kenny Williams reload every year, right? And you can do that though, but you can do that by getting young controllable guys and continuing to scale back certain positions at a time. So, for example, planning on Colson Montgomery being Tim Anderson's replacement, trading him now for a piece that's going to help you just this year and maybe in 24, short-sighted, because Tim Anderson's also, because of age and contract, not going to be here and you're going to need a shortstop. Trading Colson Montgomery and getting back a young shortstop and a, another young piece you know that can build up into that next group and help you now, hey, That's a smart move. That's how you build sustainability. I'm not saying Colson Montgomery gets that done, but you get the point.
0: Well, and and the interesting thing here is, and that's why I'm saying 23 versus 25. And you might be like, well, what about, what about the season in the middle, Chris? 24 is really interesting because with all the options and the buyouts, 24 could be very much like 23, okay, but you're going to have still some bad money there. Because there are players on this team that are making money that they shouldn't be making on this team. I Mignon mean, you know, oh God is making $25 million in 2024. 24.8 to be exact. So to me, you have your 23 team right now that you can make a push with. 24 is going to be the remnants of that team, but it's also going to be part of the core that gets you into 25. And so you do have the, that's how I kind of look at it. You're either looking at this year. You're looking at 25 and you're looking at 25 and beyond. What are you looking at while you're making your moves out here? And the biggest problem, Ed, the biggest problem is the owner. The owner makes a cap for himself, doesn't he?
1: Well, he always has. And, and, and he always will. And I actually saw this, you know, in, in social media circles over the weekend. I saw people sitting there, one, one guy in particular on Facebook, and I don't apologies, I don't remember who it was. I saw it in passing. Was sitting there saying something along the lines, I saw a few other people do this, that you know, calling Jerry cheap isn't fair because 180 million dollars is a lot of money still. It's just that Rick Hahn doesn't know how to spend the money he's given to spend.
0: There is part of that. He I could have spent that hundred and eighty million dollars better than Rick Hahn, but he shouldn't just have a hundred and eighty million dollar payroll. That's a mistake.
1: Well, and, and that and that is where it comes down to it. And you look at it and you go, Okay, so can we really qualify Jerry Reinsdorf as being a cheapskate? Or is this something where, you know, there is a perception of him that doesn't match reality? And, I, and so I, I actually went back and I looked as far back as I could at Major League Baseball payrolls. And I only got back to 1988, data before that's too scarce and too unreliable. But that's 25 years of Jerry Reinsdorf, okay? And here to give you an idea of what I found, I'm not going to list every single year because it, it's not worth it. But some of the highlights. So from 1998 to 1988 rather to 1990 the White Sox are all three of those years dead last they are the bottom of the barrel in major leagues in payroll. They only climb in 1995 up to the bottom 5. They're 5th from the bottom. Then they get kind of towards the middle and you get that 93 team that's successful, they're 13th, the 94 team they're up to 8th, he spent a little bit more money. 95 through 96, he's now the 5th, he's now top 5. He's the 5th highest payroll in the majors. 97, he makes Albert Bell the highest-paid MLB player in history to that point, right? He is the the high mark for contracts. And the White Sox are third in payroll. And then they fall off. They get back down towards the middle. They get down towards the bottom. In 2000, when they win the division, they're actually 25th. In 2005, they're up to 13th. They're kind of in the middle of the pack. In 2006, he spends money. They're fourth. In 2007, they're fifth. In 2008, they have that last run with that kind of group. You know, we are talking about 2024, that's what it reminds me of, It's 2008, the last remnants of the championship team mixed in with a few free agents and high-priced guys to get you up to fifth in payroll. He hits fifth again in 2011, you know how that went, and then it's been bad since then, right? It's been downhill during the rebuild, he's only in the top 10 one other time, uh, in that two other times, I'm sorry, in 2013 and 2022, he finally climbs up to seventh, okay? So in 25 years, he's only in the top five six times. OK, he's in the top 10 10 times, but he's in the lower half 16 times. But I think there's context there, too, that you have to think about, because we've talked at times about and I know there's a, a book you read that says that the Sox are one of the few teams that are actually tied to their attendance more so than anything else in terms of, of Jerry Spence. Yeah, right? it's,
0: it's the scorecasting book. It came out. Um... I want to say in the early 2000s is before the White Sox won the World Series and before the Cubs won the World Series. And when it does, it breaks down a bunch of different things about sports, but there's an entire chapter when it comes to salary in baseball and the way that fans react. And the two, the two fan bases that will show up if you spend money and put a good product on the field were the Yankees and the White Sox. They stood heads and tails at that time, over everybody else when the person lo- who wrote the book looked back on like decades and decades of data that showed that White Sox fans are a, a type of fan base that if you put a product on the field, they show up in droves and you make more money. And what it pointed out was that the Yankees seemed to have understood this over the years. And Jerry Reinstorf from the White Sox had not understood that. They will only spend money after you show up. And it was
1: one of the reasons why they said the White Sox don't compete at the same level. When Jerry Reinsdorf buys the team, the city of Chicago is the second biggest city in the United States. It had been that way from 1890 on to 1980. Okay, at that, that the 1980 census, we're still number two. We're still the second city. And LA overtook us some point in the 80s. Okay, we've been the third largest market, the third largest city in the US ever since then. And media market's tied to that too, okay? It's tied to population, It's you know TV stations that reach this area. And so ratings are important. Media money is important. And here's what I want you to remember, Chris. When Eddie Einhorn and Jerry Reinsdorf bought the team, okay, we don't talk about Eddie very much, but Eddie Einhorn bought into the White Sox because he wanted to do the marquee network 40 years ago. He wanted to do the Yes Network, okay, 40 years ago, where the Yankees control their media outlet, full lock, stock, and barrel, so the profits, the narrative, all that stuff, the Sox tried to do that with sports vision. That was Eddie Einhorn's baby. And remember, in the 80s, when we were kids, you had to have that set-top box, otherwise the games were scrambled, except for occasionally on, on Channel 32, and nobody paid into it, right? And then you had to be a cable subscriber to get the games. It screwed up their fan base.
0: It's the reason why the White Sox become the second team in the city. You talk to older White Sox fans, they'll tell you the Cubs were the bums in the city. The White Sox were the place to be. We had Harry Carey. We had everything rolling for us. I mean, when you sit down and you think about the Reinstorf legacy, never think that he walked into the situation where we were the second team in the city. He created it. And this is where
1: I'm going with this. Okay, so what did I say? 88 to 90, they're last in the league in payroll. Why? Because they're coming out of that sports vision debacle. And Michael Jordan's getting the Bulls really, really good, right? And WGN needs those Bulls games. You know, they, they, they want the Bulls on there. And so around that time, GN says, We want to put the Bulls on TV. And Jerry says, Now without the White Sox. And so now the Sox games are on WGN all of a sudden, right? And now, you know, the media dollars are picking back up. And eventually you come around to Fox Sports Net and what is now Comcast Sports Net or, or, or NBC Sports Chicago, right? Which is, which is, Half owned by Jerry Reinstorf, a quarter owned by Bill Wirtz, and um, a quarter owned by NBC. And so Jerry's got his station, his cable station, where he controls the narrative, but he doesn't get all the profits, okay? So right now, NBC Sports Chicago, you have a White Sox team that did not do well last year. You have a Blackhawks team that is in a rebuild cycle and has not been very easy to watch, right? So you have revenue on NBC Sports Chicago that I would I would imagine's got to be a little bit down, okay? And when Sports Vision was a catastrophe and no money was being made on the ratings and there's no media money coming in for Jerry, he's low in payroll. When he gets good in the 90s, he's not spending a ton of money in 93 and 94, right? He's not huge, he's in the middle of the pack, but he's getting dollars, right? He can he can expand because the Bulls are are helping drag the White Sox up. They're on WGN, they're on the Superstation, they're you know, they're getting broadcast all over the place. We can see the home games. It's got that, that, that Bill Wirtz dying effect that the Hawks had when Rocky put him back on TV. And that, I think, is what you have to look at is, is where are the ratings, okay? Because you're right. If Jerry's paying attention, he's putting a good product on the field, even if he's doing what David Sampson said and just competing for second every year. But he's putting a competitive team on the field every single year, we're showing up, right? And we're smart about it. We understand when they're, when they're trying to sell us a bill of goods that isn't working. But we're also, you know, not seeing this from what Jerry, I think, is seeing, which is he's probably cutting payroll because he's looking at advertising dollars from the TV station, from the TV coverage that just weren't there, okay? And baseball TV viewing is down across the board anyway, right? But on the north side, they have the marquee network. Whatever they sell is the Cubs. You know, that, that's Rickett's money. Jerry's got to split it, and that's probably hurting him. It's probably hurting the bottom line. So he looked at it, and we pointed out he had the attendance last year. We showed up to the ballpark, fans. We did, but maybe we didn't watch enough on TV, or at least not enough of us with set-top boxes. Now, I can't say anything about that directly because I don't know. I don't have one, but I suppose if you have one and you're a Sox fan, you know what to do. All right, hold on one second here.
0: I'm pouring myself another hailstorm at the bar. Because we're going to get into the weeds on this, what you just said. First off, Hailstorm Brewing Company, the official brewery of Socks in the Basement. Visit their brewery. It's beautiful. It's a big beer hall. You can see the beer being made. Tinley Park becoming one of the big spots for breweries. They're right there in the lead. 8060 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue. They got a brand new brewer there. He's highly acclaimed. Will Turner, decades of experience doing their classic styles, trying some new stuff. We're getting the stout season. They've got the live music on the weekends. They've got the fire pit on the patio, the extensive beer menu, really good food in there as well. And like I said, the official brewery of socks in the basement. Get out the hailstorm. Check out everything they have to offer at hailstormbrewing.com, but maybe bump into Ed and myself in Tinley Park 8060 186th Street. Now, the most interesting thing about what you just said to me is this split over who owns the network that the White Sox are on. Because if Jerry Reinsdorf owns 50% of the network, one, it explains why they cover him the way they cover him, why he's never really criticized, why anybody that says anything bad about him is poo-pooed, shot down, attacked, whatever. And there's always this glowing thing, because it's not that he could pull his team off of NBC Sports Chicago, and that all of a sudden would ruin the network. No, no, no. He's actually paying the people that are talking about him, okay? If he's got if he's got 50%, then he has all the influence in the world over there. But where, where do you get that from? Because it doesn't get talked about enough. I know it's on the Wikipedia page, but I don't trust Wikipedia. Where else do you get that from?
1: Well, I get it from uh, Robert Feeder has reported that. Uh, and uh, I, I caught a Sun-Times article in June uh, from Jeff Agrest who was talking about the possibility of Jerry trying to make his own marquee network, and, and that's partially, I think, what Jerry wanted to do. Well, that's what Eddie Einhorn wanted to do, right? He wanted Sports Vision to become what the marquee network is. You, you're exclusive home for the White Sox. We control the narrative. We control the advertising dollars. It's what the Yes Network is to the Yankees. It's what the marquee network is to the Cubs and the Ricketts family. And Jerry, you know, I, I don't know that the problem is necessarily that Jerry's trying to control the narrative because I think that's what baseball teams want to do. I think the problem for Jerry is he's only getting 50% of that share. Okay, whatever whatever that brings in. So if the Hawks aren't doing well, that drags the network down. If the Sox weren't doing well last year on TV, that drags the network down. If they don't have enough original programming, that drags the network down. So I think it's tied to the 50% share he has But he's tying his payroll to the 50% share he doesn't have of NBC Sports Chicago. He's tied money-wise.
0: He also controls the narrative. Don't tell me he doesn't. Don't tell me that... Don't tell me that there isn't a control. No, I'm telling you, I'm I'm telling
1: you, I'm telling you, he wants to do that. And I'm telling you, that's what the Ricketts family wants to do. And the Yankees want to do it. That's what they all want to do. They all want on their local level to control the narrative and the money. We got a little taste of how the narrative gets controlled over the summer. And
0: then we, and then we decided we were doing something in a different direction because we, we got a little taste of it. We got, we got reached out and touched and we're like, we we're done with this. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, like, we know what we know what the what how that operates over there. So and that's why we're like, no, nope, we're staying independent. We're doing our own thing over here. Because so yeah, it does trickle down from him, but he is tied to then what the station does money wise. It's not just the gate, it's it's also what NBC Sports Chicago's doing.
1: Right, which is why when you watch when the socks are good in the nineties and getting that good GN money, because he's got that bull's negotiating tactic, he can raise the payroll. When Sports Vision is a calamity in the 80s, they're they're at the bottom. They're at the bottom of the league. They're the last team in payroll for those years when they don't have a good media outlet because Channel 44 is not what the station used to be at that point. 32 is becoming the Fox network and is no longer going to carry local programming nearly on the level that they did when they were an independent UHF channel. You can't touch the networks. The Cubs have GN. WGN owns the Cubs, for God's sakes. The Tribune Company owns the whole thing. So... When he gets that media money coming in, he does raise the payroll. But it should be the opposite way. He should be looking at it and saying, well, when I put the the when I put the money into the team and I put the product on the field, the fans show up. And I presume we show up on TV the way we show up at the gate.
0: Right. And then you make more money in your advertising on the network because your ratings are higher on the network and you'd still make more money. So the, the principle that we talked about in the scorecasting book still makes sense. He's just not executing it in the proper way. But clearly he's not only tied to gate – but he's also tied to media numbers with that with that share that he has.
1: Right, he's thinking the way other major market owners are thinking. He's just not getting it done on the level I think he wants to do it. And and I am projecting here, I'm guessing a little bit, but that's the correlation that I see. And so when we're coming into this year, and he's saying I got to drop payroll, and we're looking at it going, hey, fan, as fans, we showed up, man. We were at the games this year. We came to these games in spite of all the frustration. But apparently we didn't watch enough on TV or whatever. I would I would imagine that that's what's going on. Is somewhere behind the scenes. He's looking at what he's getting in revenue-wise from the media. He's dropping the payroll. Even though we're looking at this going, you could push so many chips in on 2023 right now and bank on the rebound and go for it. Or you could even push some chips in, but you could also be looking up down the road and putting money into this team, and we're not even sure what they're going to do. Socks in the basement.